kind of behind-the-scenes uh, perspective for a pastor, uh, a lot of people come up to me and say, hey, that was a very convicting uh, sermon. Well, here's the behind-the-scenes look. If uh, the sermon uh, that I preach on a Sunday is convicting, uh, just think about this. I have been working on that sermon all week. Therefore, guess what my week looks like getting to the sermon? Convicting. And uh, when you preach on a certain subject, as you know, if you preach on patience, God will give you plenty of opportunities to uh, exercise that. Uh, well, that's true today as I'm preaching on grumbling. I don't know, even this morning, how many times I'm like, okay, I'm preaching on this. Stop it. I'm preaching on this. Stop it. Uh, so I'm called to preach God's word, meaning uh, when I'm preaching, I'm preaching his word, and I'm also preaching to myself. And I want to make that clear as I start this morning. Um, today is a very convicting sermon. I, I think it will be uh, because we're on a convicting verse, which is verse 14 that says this, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Uh, this sermon uh, is one we need to hear because it seems like, it seems like we have a lot to cover. Uh, three points this morning, uh, the command, the example, and the purpose, the command, the example, and the purpose. So let's just start with the command again, verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing it. And what does Paul mean by do all things? Well, I think he means this, do all things without grumbling or disputing. In other words, do everything as Christians, all without grumbling or disputing. Now let's uh, remember the context here because I think it's important that uh, Paul has a flow of thought that's going on here. Verse 12 and 13, we spent a, two Sundays on these two verses um, are about our sanctification. Paul writes, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Right? This is our sanctification. It's our Christian walk. It's our pursuit of holiness and Christ-likeness, our training in godliness uh, after salvation. In the justification sense, we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, and we are to do it without grumbling or disputing. Therefore, as Christians, all, everything, all that we do, we are to do it without grumbling or disputing. All that we do, every aspect of our Christian walk, we are to do it without grumbling or disputing. Now, grumbling in the Greek is actually an onomatopoeia. It's a word that sounds like what it's describing in Greek is a gangusmos, which just sounds like a grumbling. The word means behind the scenes talk or complaining, grumbling. Grumbling is a great translation. You get the idea behind that. And it's related to the word disputing, do all things without grumbling or disputing. But disputing is kind of an interesting word, in my opinion. I looked up this word. It's a dialogue ismos. You get the word dialogue from. I'm sure you hear that. Dialogue ismos. Uh, it means having a conversation or a dialogue, but the connotation of this word is e internal, the internal conversation or dialogue, one that's going on in your head. It's self-talk. It's a dialogue within your mind and heart. It's an opinion, a, a reasoning, a thought that you replay over and over and over and over again within your head, and I'm sure we all understand uh, what that's like. And obviously, in this passage, it has a negative 
connotation to it. It's a negative uh, it's grumbling and complaining within your head or heart uh, over and over and over again. Therefore, we are not to grumble or complain out loud with our mouths or even within our hearts where no one can see because it's closed. And listen, I just don't think we give enough credit to how destructive the sin of grumbling and complaining can be. In fact, for a lot of us, grumbling is just a favorite pastime. It's a way of life. Let me just uh, give you an example. Don't raise your hand, please. But be honest with yourself. How many of you get together with friends and inevitably start to grumble and complain? You grumble about the weather. You grumble about your job grumble about the church, you grumble about your spouse, your kids, your in-laws. How about this one? How many of you get together with friends and grumble about the government, taxes, the state? And you might be thinking right now, well, Nathan, I'm making a, maybe too big of a deal about this. I mean, I know we shouldn't grumble about our spouse and kids. That's pretty obvious. But grumbling about the weather? job, taxes, is that really a sin? Well, look at what Paul says. Do all things. Do all things. That includes being a citizen. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. Now listen, grumbling is a huge deal, and here's why. It trains our hearts to be discontent. It trains our hearts you think about this for a minute. If we are discontent, who's ultimately at fault for that? How about this? The one that's in control of everything, including the weather, your job, and the government. Again, grumbling is a big deal. Let me just show you this in another way, because again, all week I've been thinking about this and kind of wondering, because we see this come up in Scripture over and over and over again, do not grumble. And I I asked a question, two questions. Is grumbling a big deal? And the answer is yes, because we see it just over and over and over again in Scripture. But then the question that comes out of that, why is grumbling a big deal? That's kind of what I want to answer today. So let me show you this from another angle. If you would, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Corinthians chapter 10, (laughs) starting in verse 1. Verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea, and all were baptized with Moses in the cloud and in the and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Verse 5, nevertheless, most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, 
these things took place as an example for us, that we, not, we might not desire evil as they did. This happened in the Old Testament with Israel. In other words, it's an example for the church. It's an example for us here in this room. Now here's the example, verse 7. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now, we've gone over this a number of times. That word play has a sexual connotation to it, meaning the Israelites worshipped in a pagan way in the wilderness. They got drunk and fornicated, and, and they worshipped a false god by doing that. Ugly sin. Verse 8. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. Again, ugly Ugly sin. Verse 9. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. Verse 10. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, did you hear that? Paul puts grumbling with drunken sexual immorality, idolatry, and putting Christ to the test, then grumbling in the same list. And he keeps going, verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Now here's the warning, verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall anyone. That's why if you have someone else in mind right now that you grumble with, stop and look at yourself. In other words, be careful. Don't treat this sin lightly. Don't think grumbling is a small sin or idolatry or sexual immorality or fornication. Because verse 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Thankfully, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Listen, the point I'm trying to make is this. Grumbling is a big deal. It's a big deal. It's destructive. And let me just be blunt, if I haven't been already. God hates grumbling. Hear that? God hates grumbling and complaining. He hates it. Let me just prove it to you. Numbers 11, verse 1. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord, don't do this, about their misfortune. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed outlying sobering verse. Again, let me just be as clear as possible here. God hates grumbling. He hates complaining. And this is not just an Old Testament scary God thing. James 5, 9. Do not grumble against one another. This is one of the one another's. What's that mean? One of the another's in the church. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that, here's the reason, you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Our passage, do all things without grumbling and disputing. Peter says, show hospitality to one another within the church, one another, without grumbling. First Peter 4, 9, and, and let me just be clear on this. There's no qualifications there. There's no, uh, unless they're mean to you. Unless they sinned against you. No, do not grumble, period. Again, grumbling and complaining is a big deal. It's a, it's a destructive sin. And here's why. Grumbling trains our hearts to be discontent, ungrateful, and to distrust God. Therefore, Paul commands the church, do all things, all things, without grumbling or disputing. So that's the command. Now I want to look at the example. The example. I think Paul has a specific example in his mind, and I'll show you why I think that in a second. But let's look at the example he has in his mind when he wrote Philippians 4 or 2.14. Uh, the example is Israel. Israel. So if you want to turn to Exodus chapter 2, verse 13, and if you're thinking right now, man, Exodus again? Pay close attention to this sermon. <laughs> Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, what happened to Israel in the wilderness is an example to us. So let's look at this example. Uh, there's a pattern in Exodus. We spent a lot of time in Exodus, so I think this will actually be very helpful to uh, kind of go through this real quick. Uh, but there's a pattern that I noticed going through it slowly uh, that I want to pull out this morning. Um, and I, and I think this pattern helps explain why Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 connects sexual immorality, idolatry, to grumbling. So let me just show you. Uh, Exodus 2 verse 13 says this. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he, this is Moses, he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he, this is the man, he answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us. Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Now, this passage is mostly about Moses, if you know the story here. Um, but verse 14, we really start to see the first hint of grumbling and complaining by Israel. Just a hint. This Israelite, this man said, who made you prince and a judge? Now that's, legitimate question but the attitude behind it I believe here but as we see is grumbling complaining with Moses about Moses let's keep going turn to Exodus chapter 5 verse 19 foreman of the people or actually let me give you some, uh, some background some context here Moses went to, uh, goes to Pharaoh and asks him to let the Israelites go we're a little bit further in the story now uh, Pharaoh 
uh, gets angry at Moses and responds by increasing the workload of the Israelites who are still in bondage and slavery at this point. And therefore, verse 19, the foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce the number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, listen to this, the God, or the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Again, God, and this is important, God sends Moses, kind of kicking and screaming right now. Moses didn't want to go. God sent Moses to the Israelites to deliver them. He sent him to Pharaoh. And the Israelites at this point are grumbling and complaining against Moses because their workload increased. Now, let me say this one more time. Legitimate concern. It was an impossible workload. But the issue is not the concern, the grumbling. We're starting to see a pattern here within the Israelites' hearts. Now turn with me to Exodus 14. Exodus 14, we'll start in verse 10. This is after the ten plagues. Again, we know the story. This is after the Passover. This is after they're freed. They're still in Egypt. They're at the, the, the border, right? of Egypt in the wilderness, they're freed. Moses, once again commanded by God, leads Israel to the shore of the Red Sea where they're trapped and the Egyptian army is pursuing them. Verse 10, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may, not, we, that we may serve the Egyptians? By the way, that's not what they were saying. Crying out to God for deliverance. For it would be, have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And we're seeing the, the seed of grumbling that started earlier in Exodus kind of come to fruition here, coming out. The grumbling is continuing, and it's starting to get worse and worse. And, and as this is happening, I want you to notice the Israelites' hearts are actually getting harder and harder. This continues. After God parts the Red Sea, they walk on dry land across the Red Sea. After the miracles that they saw in Egypt, the ten plagues, the death of the firstborn, the fire from the sky that was leading them and not only leading them, protecting them. After singing praises to God for their salvation, look at the end of verse 50, or chapter 15. Verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. There, when they came to uh, Merah, they, they could not drink the water in Merah because it was bitter. 
Therefore, it was named Merah, uh, and the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we do? Now, I want to be clear again. They didn't come to Moses humbly and ask, What shall we do if we're out of water? Or Moses, there's no water. I'm thirsty. What can, what can we do? They didn't say, Hey, we know God's in control. We've seen him do miracle after miracle. He parted the Red Sea. We just want to know what to do next. Moses, we trust you and we trust you. That's not what they're doing here. It's not their attitude. It's clear that they're grumbling, complaining about the lack of water, but also about Moses who led it to this bitter water. They're complaining about his leadership. chapter 16, verse 1. Exodus 16, verse 1. They set out from Elam, and uh, all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation, all the people of Israel, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, this is just getting ridiculous and absurd. When they were in Egypt, when they were slaves, when they were treated horribly, they did not sit by meat pots and eat bread to the full. Listen, I want to be clear. Not having food and water is a legitimate concern. The concern is not the issue in this passage. The issue is the grumbling. Israelites are slowly training their hearts not to trust Moses, and worse than that, not to trust God. Every little complaint, every little grumble, is slowly hardening their hearts towards God. Skip down to verse 7. I want you to pay attention to how many times the word grumble is used, and just so you know, there is a connection here from our passage to Exodus. Uh, the word grumble in Greek, it's the same word used here in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And it's just used over and over and over again. I just want, I just want you as I read through this, pay attention to how many times the word grumble is used. Verse 7, Moses is speaking and he says this, In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For who, or what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are, you, are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. I think you heard it, right? Grumble, 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 over and over again. In fact, uh, Moses uses that word grumble five times in these two verses. 
five times in this, he just he, he is pointing out that Israel is a group of grumblers. But Moses does something very interesting. Look at verse 7. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. See that? It's interesting because look at verse 2. Verse 2 says this, same chapter, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. In fact, all the way up to this point, every single time we've seen the, uh, the Israelites grumbling, they're grumbling to Moses about Moses. But then you get to verse 7, and Moses says this, you're grumbling against the Lord, not Moses. So Moses explains, for what are we that you're grumbling against us? Verse 8, and Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the morning meat to eat and and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us. It's not against me, that's what Moses is saying, but against the Lord. Even though technically they are grumbling about Moses to Moses, ultimately they are grumbling about God. of the Israelites, although they were taking things out on Moses, they were really angry with God. And this is the heart of grumbling. Anger with God. This is why God always takes our complaints personally. He knows that when we grumble about our personal circumstances, our spiritual leaders, our, or anything else, what we are really doing is finding fault with God. We are complaining about what he has provided or not provided. The case may be a complaining spirit. A grumbling spirit always indicates a problem in our relationship with God. And this is why grumbling is so bad. If God is truly sovereign over everything, which he is, the Bible proves it, grumbling about the servant who legitimately deceived her, attacked her, and led her astray. And she grumbled about the servant. Ser, ser, serpent. Who was she grumbling about? God. And that's evil. When we grumble, whine, and complain, it just reveals the Ultimately, the bitterness is directed towards God. It's directed towards God. Grumbling is not a small sin. In fact, it's related to one of the greatest sins of all mankind. Romans 1.18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all 
ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so they are without excuse for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. One of our greatest sins is not being grateful for the life we have. When we do say, hey, I'd like to be made thanks to God for it, what does man do? Tumbles, grumbles, complains, bitterly says, when on him, he shakes his fist at God and says, I deserve better. Grumbling just proves that we're not thankful to God for all the blessings of life. Grumbling reveals the bitterness within our hearts towards God and proves that we think we deserve better. Therefore, pretty big sin. Look at it. It's worse than grumbling. And you might be thinking, how could it be worse than that? It's worse than that because grumbling doesn't just reveal what's in our hearts. It definitely does. It reveals bitterness. It reveals uh, ingratitude, it builds discontentment, but, but it doesn't just reveal what's in our heart, it actually exercises it. Grumbling trains your heart to be bitter. It's like lifting weights, but instead we're exercising bitterness, not our muscles. We're exercising ingratitude. started off where it's almost hard to see that it's grumbling, but then it gets worse and worse and worse to the point where they're delusional. We had meat and and bread. It was great in uh, Egypt. Why did you bring us out here? They're delusional. you'll just distrust God. Exodus 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, gone for 40 days, and by the way, he warned the people that he was going to be gone for a long period of time. And and so he put a leader there to really say, hey, follow Aaron, I'm going to be gone for a while. He warned the people that he was going to come. But when Moses wasn't on their timetable, Look with what happened. The people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, there's this thing that 
They're mad at Moses. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. It's obvious the same for Moses. They're grumbling. He's taken way too long. We don't know what's happened to him. So Aaron, up, make us a god. Verse 2, so Aaron said to them, take off your rings and gold uh, that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their rings and gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hands and fashioned with it, and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And, and they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So there, capital L-O-R-D, blaspheming God's name by putting on that altar. Listen to this, verse 6. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Does that sound familiar? 1 Corinthians 10, verse 7. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Listen, 1 Corinthians 10, Paul connects idolatry, drunkenness, fornication, and sexual immorality to grumbling because I believe it's grumbling that eventually led Israel to those sins. It was Israel's grumbling that trained their hearts to distrust Moses, to distrust God, to be discontent, to be ungrateful, and eventually be so bitter towards God, so bitter that they made their own God and worshipped it by drinking, partying, and fornicating. And here's where we need to be careful. Because Paul tells us, the church, this is an example to us. He says this, let, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overcome you that's not common to man. So Paul, grumbling over the law, it's a big deal because it trains the heart to distrust God. And it's a distrusting heart that will eventually lead to greater externalism. So Paul tells us, do all things, everything, without grumbling or disputing that we may be blameless and innocent before God. You hear that? That we may be blameless and innocent. Connected to grumbling. Turn back to Philippians 2.14. Brings me to my last point this morning. The purpose. All the commands. Do not grumble. We see the example of Israel. We're all pretty familiar, even if you haven't been here the last three years, you're familiar with Israel's example of grumbling. We see the command, we see the example that we're to follow. Now, here's the purpose. Look at verse 14 again. It says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. And here's why, verse 15 that you 
may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a a crooked and twisted generation. Again, Paul takes grumbling very seriously. I, I think sometimes we see grumbling just probably because of the culture we live in as just kind of a small sin. It's like one of those things like, It's a big deal. Paul takes grumbling very seriously because he knows it will eventually lead to greater sins. Destructive sins. He says, do all things in your sanctification. Do do all things without grumbling or disputing that, that you may be blameless and innocent. Then he adds something that I think is very interesting. He adds this, that that you may be children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. He adds three things, and the three things, when I first read this, I'm like, why does he add these three things? Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. I asked this question and started looking into it, and I found something interesting about these three things that he mentions here. It's, It's Paul indirectly saying, don't be like the Israelites. Don't be like the Israelites who were who let their grumbling disqualify them from the promised land. That whole generation didn't get to go to the promised land because they grumbled. Who let their grumbling lead them into greater sin, idolatry, rebellion, sexual immorality. Who, who let their grumbling uh, make them... them look like all the other nations around them crooked and twisted and i know paul is saying this because he's quoting the old testament deuteronomy 32 verse 5 says this they this is israel they have dealt corruptly with him god they are no longer his children they have become they are blemished and they are a crooked and twisted generation Three things. Because of their sin of grumbling, they are no longer children of God, they are blemished, and they are a crooked and twisted generation. This is what Paul is quoting when he writes this verse, but he rewrites it and he puts this. Do not do all things without grumbling and disputing that you may be children of God without blemish in the midst of a twisted or a crooked and twisted generation. In other words, Paul is calling the church to be different than Israel different than Israel, to be different than the world. We are to be blameless, innocent, children of God without blemish. And we are to do this in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. We are to do this by not grumbling and complaining. And then Paul adds this, among whom you shine as lights in the world. In other words, our lack of grumbling and disputing our our unity, our love for each other within the church should separate us from the world. Our love in the marriages within our church, families within our church, one another, should separate us from the world in a way that, that we shine as lights in the world, like, like stars 
sees a black sky. Blackness all around them, but we see stars shining. That should be encouraging. Let me ask a question. How do you think you're doing? Let me just make this extremely personal. How do you think we, not Church Universal, but we, Country Oaks, do we look different than the culture around us? Do people look at our relationships with Ender Church and I'm truly asking this, TOBC, and say, man, there's something different about those people out there. Does our, our character shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation? Or do we just grumble and complain like the world around us? Listen, in the Old Testament, Israel failed to be a light to the world. Largely because of their grumbling. Big deal. Their grumbling led them to idolatry, sexual immorality, and, and worst of all, rebellion. And they just wanted to be like the other people. Grumbling is a big deal. God hates grumbling. Let me ask you a few questions. If you're thinking, man, I hope so-and-so listens to this. Stop. Stop it. You need to hear this. Because we all struggle with this. Do you grumble? Do you complain? you grumble and complain about daily life? Like the small things in daily life. Do you, do you, do you grumble when, when someone's driving slow in front of you? Do you grumble when, when, when someone cuts you off? Do you grumble when your order at Starbucks is wrong? Or your food is cold or too hot? Listen, these are small things, but look what Paul says. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. That includes driving. That, that includes eating. That, that includes getting coffee. Do you trust in God's sovereignty even in the small things, day-to-day -day life, remembering that, that grumbling trains your heart to distrust God? grumble with your coworkers about your job? Are you known as a complainer at work? Or do people know you as one who is grateful in all things, someone who is just different, and you shine as a light in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation? Or do you look just like everyone else? How about this one? Do you grumble about the government? person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Doesn't mean we're not honest. Doesn't mean we don't call out evils. There's a difference. 
grumble. David refused to grumble about Saul who was trying to kill him. He was an evil king. But Saul was instituted by God. God removed him. How about this one? Do you grumble and complain about your kids? Do your kids hear you grumble and complain? Do your kids hear you grumble and complain about life, your job, the government, friends, other family members? Listen, kids aren't, aren't born saved. I hope you know that. And if you don't know that, you probably haven't had a kid. Therefore, when our kids are young, we are to evangelize them as unbelievers. Does your life match the message you are teaching them? Or are you modeling discontentment, ingratitude, discharge by grumbling? Now listen, I'm, I'm, I'm clear. Everything that I've said so far, I've struggled with. I told you I'm ignorant. How about this one? Do you grumble about your spouse? Men, do you get together with other men? maybe at work, and talk negatively about your wife. You might be thinking, well, I'm just joking around with the guys. Guess what you're doing? You're training your heart to be bitter towards your spouse. Wives, do you talk negatively about your husbands? What about the church? Do you grumble about the church? How a ministry is being handled? How the worship service is organized, how loud the worship is, how quiet the worship is, too many hymns, not enough hymns. We start too early, we start too late, we are way past time. It's too big of a break between services, it's cold, it's hot. Maybe it's not how the church is being ran, maybe it's a member within the church grumble about someone that sinned against you, legitimately sinned against you, someone that, that just irritates you. James 5, 9 says this, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Maybe it's not a member. Maybe it's a leadership. Maybe it's me. Do you grumble about the leadership of the church? Hebrews 13, 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You might be thinking, well, Nathan, that's a little strong. Listen, I, I do not mind constructive criticism. That's not grumbling. I'm open to that. Please come talk with me. And a number of you have come just lovingly and said, hey, why don't you do this? Do you think this would be helpful? I see this. I'd love to. In fact, I welcome it. But listen, if you are grumbling behind the leadership's scene, behind, behind our backs, you're, guess what? That is a sin. It's not self-serving for me to point that out. It's, it's serving you. But that works the other way around, too, by the way. 
I'm in sin. I have a grumbling heart about you. First Peter 5.2 says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God uh, would have you, not with, for shameful gain, but eagerly. In other words, with joy. Love the flock. One of the things that breaks my heart is when I talk to pastors who just grumble about their kids. Like, I'm not perfect, but I, I just try to repeat command in Philippians 2.14 simply says, I'll be the first to admit it is convicting. Paul says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. But the reason he gives us for why, why we should work on this, is so important. Verse 15 says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twist generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Our, our Christian testimony will largely be judged by our attitudes, by our gratefulness, by our joy and lack of complaint. That's pretty important. So again, the command is simple. Do all things without grumbling. The example is Israel. Do not be like Israel, who failed by grumbling just over and over and over again. And finally, the purpose is this, that we may shine as lights in the world. Lord, our Father, hallowed be your name. Make your name great. Glorify your name and, and who you are, Lord. And God, please help us not to fail by our sinful attitudes, our sinfulness, our complaining and grumbling. It's just infectious within our culture. I know it affects the church. God, help each and every one of pray for me just as much as I, I am talking to the congregation. Help me not be a grumbler. Help me be an example of someone that is just content in joy, knowing that I, I don't deserve anything that you have blessed me with so much.